Got your attention? <laughs> All I have to do is say hello, church. Hello, body of Christ. Got a series of questions here. Why does it seem like I'm not doing enough things in the Lord? Why am I not making progress in my Christian life? Why do I fail the Lord? Why can't I live a more fulfilling Christian life? Why do I feel so much conflict? What's holding me back? Now, if anybody's ever asked those questions, you're not alone. Because I think we probably all have in some manner or form. You're certainly not alone. We need answers for those questions, don't we? We certainly need answers. We need biblical answers. We need God to help us. Give us mercy, God. Give us truth. And so, the text that we have before us today in our Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, I think is of utmost importance. Absolutely, as we live our Christian lives, it tells us how we are to live our Christian lives, and it tells us why we suffer spiritually. We suffer spiritual setbacks sometimes, don't we? And these verses tell us why we are being held back from further growth. So, that is why these verses can be so important. We are in a war, and we struggle mightily in this war. Sometimes we recognize it, sometimes we don't, sometimes we just forget while the shots are being fired over us, and at us, and near us. And the war is the flesh versus the spirit. And that keeps the true believer from being satisfied in this life. (laughs) Because we're not, I mean, we are to be content, absolutely. We're commanded to be. But yet at the same time, we're not satisfied with where we're at. We, We have to press on. We haven't reached that point yet, have we? And uh, so we war against the flesh constantly. I want to tell you, it's relentless. The enemy is relentless, and the enemy wants to destroy you. And so, therefore, it's a formidable foe that we are up against. And uh, to defeat this formidable foe, it's going to take something more than ourselves. It's going to take something supernatural to defeat this enemy. Now, we've been talking about having freedom in Christ, right? We have freedom in Him. And then in chapter 5, which we were talking about last week, He said to not let that freedom give opportunity to the flesh. Even though we have this freedom in Christ, don't give it the opportunity to take control or or to to do and and to mask our, our sin and such. So true freedom is talking about getting rid of self. You see, that is the main problem. This self is what our problem is. We're constantly wanting it to be getting rid of. And loving and serving others replaces that getting rid of self. And that's what last week was about. That's when we're truly free. We're looking for this true freedom and that is where it's at. When we lose ourselves in loving God and then loving and serving others. Christian freedom is not about selfish fulfillment. Christian freedom 
is about serving others. That's, that's where we were at. When we think about serving our neighbor and we know that that's what we want to do and that's what we should do, and then we wind up choosing our selfish desires over helping our neighbor out, you know what? We have just lost on the battlefield of the mind. Because, guess what? We have focused on ourselves again. Now, when we were in verses 13 through 15, we were dealing with that last week, is the good news of Christ. It's a call to freedom. He has called us to freedom. That's what He wants. He wants that. And to have that freedom, it means having the opportunity, it means having the ability, and it means having the desire to do what will give us the greatest satisfaction. Now, without being spiritual people, then that means just making ourselves happy and going after any and everything that's out there that will make us happy. But that's not freedom, isn't it? Matter of fact, that is bondage. And so when we have the opportunity, the ability, and the desire to do what the Lord has given us, that is the greatest satisfaction. And that is absolute true freedom. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We already love ourselves, but we're called in the freedom to desire and seek the happiness of others. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? And that's where Paul is going in this as he spoke through these four chapters about um, the bondage that the Galatian people were getting into. And then he starts showing, here's what true freedom is. And then, boom, he drops the bombshell of saying, it's about others. And so if we start having as much concern for the needs of others as ourselves, then we are truly free indeed. And you can say, Dennis, you just made me feel hopeless. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Remember those questions I asked earlier? You know, about uh, it just doesn't seem like I'm doing enough from the things of the Lord and why am I not making progress in my Christian life? You know what? Paul has an answer to that discouragement that you just found out in Galatians five sixteen through 18. The secret is in learning to walk by the Spirit. When we sing that song, Walk by Faith, that's all uh, entangled together. It's the same thing. If the Christian life looks too hard, and boy, it is hard, we want to remember that we're not called to live it by ourselves. We have the supernatural Spirit of God to help us get through this. Now, people who try to love without relying on God's Spirit, guess what? They will always wind up trying to fill their own emptiness rather than being overflowed with the the love that God has that's shed abroad And we are to share that fullness. And of course, that's what we want to be doing. The good news is it's not primarily our work, but it's God's work. It's what He has. And so, here's what we have to learn. To simply learn to walk by the Spirit as we war against the flesh. Now, that should help us get it in a tight nutshell. Now, let's start breaking it apart here and going into a little depth of what this battling against the flesh is. 
Why don't we stand, grab our Bibles, grab our iPhones, iPods, notebooks, Galatians 5, 16. After he has just stated, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. And then he says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Let's pray. Father, what a powerful section that we have just had the privilege to read. This is immense because this is our lives. This is where it's at. This is the struggle. This is the battle. This is walking in the Spirit. This is the spiritual life. This is what it's about. Lord, help us to pay attention to Your Word this morning so that we can learn further this basic walking by the Spirit that is so profound. In Your Son's name, Amen. Well, the first thing we get into, we're going to break this down into, I think, uh, four parts. And I didn't put it on the outline this morning. Zach's not with us this morning. And Julia, thank you so much for running that again, as you so well did. And um, I, I, before Zach left, I didn't have my outline. So that was, I said, no big deal. We'll, we'll have it on the, the bulletin here. And so, as we always do. Um, first thing he starts off with is the command. The command. He gives a command. He says, but I say walk by the Spirit. That's it. Now, the implication of that means it's our conduct. It is the Christian life. It is effort. It is progress. It is moving forward. It's advancing. That's that's an implication of walking. The the word there, uh, the Greek word is parapateo. It means to walk. Uh, which is the believer's life in this world, really is a journey, isn't it? We are all on a journey. We are walking together. It's great to know that we have other people to walk with and we're not out there alone, isn't it? That's what's so beautiful about God's fellowship that He puts together. We're not alone. The word walk in the Holy Scripture is really a synonym for live. It's it's your life. Let's turn to a few Scriptures. Let's go to Mark chapter 7, verse 5. And let's see how the word walk is put in the context there. This is uh, Mark 7, verse 5. The Pharisees and scribes asked Him, our Lord, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But eat their bread with impure hands. You see what it is? There it's in a negative. Why aren't they walking with our our traditions, yeah. right? And we walk according to the Word of God here, though, right? Now, another one is, is in Romans 4, verse 12. In Romans 4, you're dealing with Abraham and him justified by faith and all the example there. And, and then it's talking about he was justified even before there was circumcision. Of course, that's so much been the subject in uh, the book of Galatians. But you get to verse 12 and he says, And the father of circumcision, Abraham, to those who not only are of the circumcision, the physical thing, but who also follow in the steps 
follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. They're talking about following in the steps of the faith of Abraham, those that are uncircumcised. He's talking about the, the spiritual aspect. We are sons of Abraham because of faith, right? We have like faith like Abraham. The steps, following the steps. I think that could be considered walking. Let's go to chapter 6, verse 4 of Romans. And there we have, we, therefore we've been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We've been raised up so that we can walk in newness of life. We have new life. We are going to walk while we're here. And so that, that's, that's our forward advancing um, progress. It has a beginning and it has an ending. You know, as far as living on, on this world here, it, it requires effort, doesn't it? Walk is effort. Yeah, we live by the Spirit, but we don't do the... Uh, fall down on on the floor and just say, okay, I'm just going to let the Lord do everything. And what, what is that famous phrase? Let go and let God. Uh, no, that's the Keswick Convention and, and uh, a lot of the um, things that happened uh, in the 1900s and all the mid-1950s. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I, I think he had to battle that. Uh, and it was, and it always comes up. Just let go. And let, it sounds right, and, and in a sense, there is that sense, but it doesn't mean that we don't do anything. Um, we we must seek after Him and His holiness. We must press on. There's a lot of ground to cover here, isn't there? As you walk, as we advance, we must press on, as as Paul said. And you know what? It is not a series of short sprints. Boom, you go at it for all you can for a short moment of time and then you just lay down. And then you get back up and take another sprint. No, it's it's a walk. It's a steady walk continuing to go on. Walking with endurance. Staying at it. Now, four other things that are involved in that and what the walk is, is it's dealing with uh, the verb and the tense and such. First of all, it's an imperative. You know what an imperative is. That means a command, doesn't it? And we don't have an option. We must do this out of obedience. It's the action point. That's just what we've been talking about here. It's turning, for the Galatians, turn away from that false teaching and start walking by the Spirit. You were saved by the Spirit. Why are you gone into this legalized law stuff that the the Pharisees and such have have been teaching? Another thing is, it's it's a present tense. In that it means to just don't walk for a little bit. That's right. But what? Continuously. Continuously. Keep on walking. Do it now. Keep on walking. Keep on. That's why we need encouragement from each other because sometimes doesn't it feel like right in the middle of this walk, sometimes you'd like to just sit down. Yeah. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> and it's amazing how the Lord can come along get up! (laughs) Or a fellow brother or sister will take your hand and get you up and get you going again. Another thing, it's in the active voice. I talked about that. It's in the second person. Not just to the Galatians, is it here? Uh, Ultimately, too. It's it's, it's all us. Now, he says, but I say, that's what Paul's saying, hey, this is what I say, walk 
by the Spirit. It doesn't say walk along. Walk by the Spirit. Holy Spirit is absolutely, vitally important as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit is the very agent of our sanctification. The only way that we can be sanctified, and sanctified means being set apart, right? The only way that we can do that is the Holy Spirit who does that. He sanctifies. Matter of fact, the very word holy is sanctified. Isn't it? He enables us. He encourages us. He equips us to live in this life. And it's a life that we should be content with and it should please God. And He is the one who enables us to live this in this life. He equips us. And it's only by the Spirit of God that we can engage in combat this war. We might not like the thought of war, but whether somebody likes war or not, they still have to fight it, right? Nations, certain nations would rather not be in a war, but they're in it. They didn't necessarily choose it, but they're in the war. And either you can surrender and still get beat and destroyed, or you can fight. There's a war within. And only the supernatural can beat the flesh. Only the Holy Spirit can beat the flesh. And when you look in the New Testament, so much about the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not going to look at all the New Testament passages about the Holy Spirit because that could go on for weeks and we could start our own series on that. And we might wind up doing it as we go through the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to be a while in chapter 5 because this is where our lives are at. And it really explains a lot. You might know all these basics but it sure will help remind us of what is going on. What's going on. You know, there are 14 references in the book of Galatians to the Holy Spirit. Only six chapters, 14 references. That's like at least two, an average of two per chapter. Uh, I think that's pretty significant. Because if your name was mentioned that many times in here, (laughs) that would be pretty significant, right? Go to Galatians 3, verse 5. Let's look at some of the things where the Holy Spirit is mentioned. Galatians 3.5 says, So then, does He who provides you with the Spirit... And we'll just stop there. He provides you with the Spirit. You have been provided the Spirit. Uh, go back a few verses. Go back to verse 2 in chapter 3. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Did you receive the Spirit? They received the Spirit of God. The Galatians did. Matter of fact, you look hard enough in the New Testament you'll see that all believers have the Holy Spirit. And we'll get into that in a moment. But we're just looking at what Galatians says here about the Holy Spirit. He's the key to our lives. Chapter 4, verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son, the Spirit of Christ, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the Spirit of Christ is in our hearts. The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ. The Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 29. 4, 29. 
But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, Ishmael, persecuting Isaac, who was born according to the Spirit. He was born according to the Spirit. I to say something. Chapter 5, verse 5. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Right now, as we wait for Christ to come back, that ultimate hope of righteousness, we have hope right now. But here, he's pointing to something even further. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. We already have righteousness, but there's that final consummation. You have been saved, are being saved, will be saved, right? Um, let's go into. Um, we did five five. How about five sixteen? But I say, walk by the Spirit. That's in our text today. Verse eighteen, also in our text today. But if you are led by the Spirit. So walk by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, and so on. The fruit of the Spirit. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Do you think Paul understood thoroughly how he was able to live this Christian life and do what he did by the Spirit of God. Well, he wasn't done. Chapter 6, verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So if you sow to the Spirit, if you walk by the Holy Spirit, again, along the same lines, I think He is of utmost importance in our life. The power of the Holy Spirit. All Christians are indwelt by Him. We go to Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Of many texts, this is the one that I think of the most. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You're not an unbeliever anymore, but you are a believer if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If you're a believer, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And he says, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. So anybody that says that a Christian cannot have, or may not necessarily have the Holy Spirit is contradicting the very Scripture that says, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. He's there. And if you don't have the Spirit, then you're not a Christian. So, I think he makes it very clear there. You look at Romans 8. My, it's all about the Holy Spirit. All the way through the chapter. as He's the one who started our salvation. as The whole triune God did. And they do all of that. But the Holy Spirit's just... He's in it. And He makes it come alive right now in our lives. He's very present. He lives in us. You know what? You know, you think of 1 Corinthians. And, and you see it there too. 1 Corinthians 6. Now, you remember the Corinthians? It's not a group of people I'd want to name a church after. And uh, has some of you ever seen uh, signs? The Corinthian church. Have you ever seen that? I have. 
Corinthian Baptist Church. It wasn't even a town called Corinth. It was just called that. I'm going, I don't know. That's just that's troubling. <laughs> They're not the greatest example. They, but they were saved. The ones who were truly, they, they were. But in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Don't, don't you know that? You're a, you're a temple. The Holy Spirit lives there. He's in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. You don't own yourselves. You don't own your body. He owns it. And He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell there. And even the Corinthians had the Holy Spirit. The believers. And so if they had the Holy Spirit, well, why wouldn't any other believer have the Holy Spirit, regardless of maybe how some of their actions were at that time? Um, of course, I know the commands about being filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, but be filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's our everyday action. Let Him control. Or in Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly and you get the same things that happened there, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs just like in Ephesians 5. The same thing. How do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? Be filled with the Word of God. The Word of Christ. The two go hand in hand. You can't separate them. So that's that's why yeah we want to be walking by the Spirit. Uh, let's try to amplify it a little more here. It's the saturation of my life with the Spirit of Christ, Holy Spirit, and He dominates me so much that I have a pattern to follow. He's the pattern, and I become conscious of His presence always. Praying always. It's really not necessarily saying something all the time. It's knowing that He is there in our presence. The Spirit, walking by the Spirit means my life is patterned after the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the pattern. He's what we desire to look like. Of course, the Holy Spirit is the one who's making us like that. Walking by the Spirit. How do you walk by the Spirit, Dennis? Let the Spirit lead you. Allow the Spirit to control you. That's always the answer. You know, it's always an easy answer. Oh, you just allow the Spirit to control you. What? What? What is that? <laughs> People go away puzzled. Yeah, I got, I, got, I got the answer, but I don't know what it means. <laughs> I don't blame them. How do you allow the Spirit to control you? How do you be filled with the Spirit? How do you let Him do that? Well, it's like this. When your heart is resting in the promise of God. John Piper says, you walk by the Spirit when your heart is resting in the promises of God. The Spirit reigns over the flesh in your life when you live by faith in the Son of God. That song we sang this morning by Jeremy Camp, Walk by Faith. And did you see where it said it, talking about the brokenness of us? The broken road that we're on? Or we're broken actors on a broken stage? But yet, we don't focus on that. 
we focus on the producer of this all and how this thing's going to end. We focus on Him. We walk by faith. All those things come up. We're looking at them. Walk by faith. Walking in the Spirit is just trusting Him, knowing that His promises always have come about before. I don't have any problem with my past life. I know He did that. But I'll tell you, and I know in the future what He's going to do, but right now I have a little trouble with God. (laughs) Well, walk by faith. Somebody says, how do you let the Holy Spirit control you? How do I walk in the Spirit? Rest in the promises. I don't know what the promises are. Here we go. Here we go. Are you in the Word of God? Just eat it up. Hunger for it because that gives us an answer and then it does comfort us. We still have to go through things. But once we get past them, then we look back at it and go, okay, Ah, thank you, Lord. That was good. I couldn't have thought of that either. Thank you, Lord. You did You did good. He's always done good. He has it perfectly planned out right now what He's doing. Just, it's amazing, isn't it? Well, that was um, the command. Let's go to what we have. we got to have C words today. The consequence. Or the results. Galatians 5. 16, but I say walk by the Spirit. Now, we spent some time on that, right? And here, here it is. And this is a fact. You walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So you walk by the Spirit, you don't have to do that. You don't have to. You don't need that. You will not carry that out by the Word. By the way, the word here is uh, emphatic. It most certainly is that way. It will not. You will not carry this out. Living by faith in Christ, we walk in the Spirit, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Some of your versions might have. Carry out. My version has carry out. Uh, Others might have Fulfill. You will not fulfill the desire of the flesh. That's you know. The word is teleste. Jesus said on the cross to telestai. It is finished. It is completed. It is fulfilled. It's been done. Right. It's fulfilled. Well, in this sense here, the negative sense, and you will not fulfill. You will not complete what that desire is that comes up. How often the desires come up, but we don't do that desire because we know better. You know what? We just won the victory. We were walking in the Spirit. You don't have to live in the flesh anymore. You don't have to bring to completion, the fruition, what the desires of the flesh are. And oh, they really will pull at you in different ways. If they get you, if they can't get you one way, then the, the the flesh will come back in another way. You ever noticed it? Boom! You push this down. You ever seen like, um, you know, where there are lumps and such, and you put that down, and something else comes up. You put that down, and something over here—it's <laughs> just constant, isn't it? That's the war that we're talking about. That's a war. 
And I want to tell you, believers, all believers, do not live by the evil dictates of the flesh. We're not underneath that anymore. But we live by the gracious rules. The Holy Spirit has rules. They're gracious. It's something now that we want to do. And He's telling us if we live by faith Christ, if we live by faith, if we're trusting in Him, then we're not going to fulfill that sinful desire that's there. Paul doesn't change his subject. He keeps talking about God's work that just keeps on going by grace in the believer. Now, the desires of the flesh. Let's let's get that phrase there. The desire. Let's break that down, okay? Word by word here. Desire is epithumia. You think of thumia. You think of a, a, a passion. You think of a craving, a longing, a desire. By the way, that word in the Greek doesn't necessarily give a negative connotation. It can be positive. Have you ever had desires that are good? Yeah. God will give you the desires of your heart. That's a good thing. That's good. If it's God's desire that He's put in you. But we tend to go sometimes against what God's desires are and we want our desires. And now, that desire is now the negative connotation. And most often, when you see it like this, well, if you see it in this context, most of the time the word desire or lust You'll see it, I think, in King James Version, probably lust of the flesh. The same word, de- desire. Same, same thing we have going there. A craving, a longing, a desire. So now it's a, it's a bad thing. And you know what? That's the natural tendency of man. To go towards evil. That's what man... Man is really exhibiting right now in our time. He is going towards evil like you wouldn't believe. Like I was talking about what's happening down in Houston with that mayor. With what she's getting away with. And can you imagine... Uh, a bathroom where uh, maybe little uh, little boys and girls are supposed to be in their their own bathroom, and then some predator comes uh, in there, uh, and of course they can be a man that day or a woman that day. Just do whatever you want to do. That's really what it comes down to. Where's that coming from? That's the evil, evil desires, a craving. Why would a woman, a mayor, come off with stuff like that? Well, why would a president do some of the things that he's doing and governors and senators, some of the elite people in the world? And then comes, it comes down to even pastors. We were talking about that earlier. You know, the, the homosexual lesbian church that's here in town. And, uh, you know, how can they, you know, have the Word of God and then live a lifestyle that doesn't even... I don't even know if I really study it there. I, I can't imagine how they could. What, what would be there that would be in conjunction with who, the, who they are, what they do? Uh, I can't understand it, but lust. Uh, they can be very base and immoral. They may be ref, refined in character, it might be that, but most often we see when we see the word lust, it's a, an evil connotation. What's that? Oh, yeah, I've seen that word before. <laughs> I need to use that. I forgot about that one. I, we ought to all just try to see if we can say that word. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to tempt it now. <laughs> but I think that sums it up, right? The epithumia, the desires of the flesh. The word there for flesh is sarks. And again, it's a word that it has to be taken into context where it's at. But in where we're at here, we'll just shorten it and we'll say that's the unredeemed 
itself. That is man's fallen nature. Um, It is man in his ugliness. It is man against God, man for himself. Uh, Galatians 5.19 shows us what some of those are. He gives us a little bit of a list. just starts with this. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. So he just lists it down. Here's the flesh. Here's the deeds. Which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that's an ongoing lifestyle, it says you're not going to heaven. But I'm a Christian. I got baptized whenever I was 12. And I've gone to church all my life. Are you practicing any of these things? Is that your lifestyle that you practice? Well, if that's your character, your nature, you have not been born again. And so... That is that's the deeds of the flesh, those kind of things, and uh, that is of course dealing with the next time that we gather. But the, the flesh, it's the ego. It feels an emptiness, and that emptiness has to be resolved. We have to do something. When something's empty, we have to fill it back up, right? So that it uses its resources that it thinks it needs by its own power, and it tries to fill it. The flesh is the I who tries to satisfy anything but God's mercy. That's that's uh, that, and uh, that leads us into the conflict. Now we've we've dealt with the command, walk by the Spirit. We've also looked at the consequence. Really, he says here here's the results of this. You're not going to carry out the desires of the flesh. You're not going to want to do what you used to do. And we get into verse 17, and here's the conflict. Christian's life is not on cruise control. (laughs) For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. The Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Here's the war. Here's where it's at. Here's the rubber meeting the road. Boy, I'm telling you, this is it. Now, it's already told us in Scripture here that first you go ahead, you walk by the Spirit, and then Paul, just immediately you tell us that this is going to be tough. This is really going to be a hard road. This is going to be a fight. You know what? That's right. You guys know about that? (laughs) You ever experienced a war? (laughs) It's not just a question of simplicity here. There's a struggle. There's a war. There's a struggle. It's hard. The Christian life is hard. Jesus said to count the cost. (coughs) The Christian's a new creature. We know about that. There is no doubt that we are new creatures. And you think, okay, all things are new. But you know what? We still found out 
after we became a Christian that we had the capacity to sin in the flesh. To act like we were still fleshly people. We, we look like it. If we're tr- truly changed, we are not fleshly people. We are not carnal. But we can look like we're carnal. That does great for the witness, does <laughs> testimony. But there, there's a sin principle that we're, we're dealing here. While we're here, we will never get out of this conflict. I wish I could just stand up here and tell you that someday, in your lifetime, you keep walking by the Spirit, you'll get out of this mess that you're in. Now, actually, that's most of the theology that's out there today. Because it sounds a lot better. It sounds like there's kind of a lot of hope there, you know? But I have to stand here and tell you, as long as you're here, you're going to continue to have conflict. My humanist would not like to really say that. Hey, things are going to get better. It's okay. Sun's going to come out. Yeah, it, it will. <laughs> and, and and we're in an oasis a lot. Matter of fact, most of the time we're pretty well in an oasis. But sometimes we get out in the desert out there. And uh, but our our war is always going on, though, whether we want to recognize that or not. And um, you know what? We we never reach that point where there is no struggle. If there were no struggles, I would really be concerned. Because if you have the flesh, if you're an unbeliever, you really don't have a struggle. You just do whatever you want to do. Because the Holy Spirit is not there to convict you of of sin and and what what it can be. And so, um, we know though that this war... The flesh, it restricts us from the accomplishment that we would like to do. And all of us would love to be up here in our spiritual walks. We'd love to be spiritual giants. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you love to be that way? He wants us to grow. But if we're believers, we are going to have trouble. An unbeliever? There's nothing to battle for the flesh. The flesh just does what it wants. There's no conflict. The flesh lusts against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. You have the, if you have not the Holy Spirit, you have no fight. This is a question of what the flesh just elects to do. But for the believer, the battle just goes on and on. There's a war raging. A lively war. But you know what's kind of interesting? If we go to Galatians 5, Verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Mm -hmm. And you say, "Uh, Paul, uh, wait a minute. (laughs) This sounds contradictory. If, If he's crucified, if this flesh is crucified, then... There shouldn't be any kind of war going on. He's dead. You know, crucifixion, right? Dead. Well, I had a big deal about that on Facebook. I posted a Spurgeon quote. I don't know, did anybody see that? Boy, did you see that line going out there? That one guy really had a trouble there with what Spurgeon said. And this is it right here. The reason I put that there is what I've been studying. And he said, see, it's been crucified. 
And so therefore, it is dead. Well, yeah, in a sense, it is. But in another sense, no, we have a war that's going on. And he even admitted there is, there is the conflict and there is the struggle. But the fact of the matter is, we have to take Paul at face value, and he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So both of these statements are true. For the flesh sets desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in our opposition to one another. But at the same time, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. And we'll get into that verse 24 sometime. And maybe we'll try to tackle that. But for now, we'll just have to believe it. That there is a crucifixion of the flesh, but at the same time, it's still going on. And I think it's just obvious. I think it's it's just common sense. I'm still in this body. I'm still incarcerated in this flesh. And I still have a struggle. And it's lively. It's a, it's a war. And so there is where we're at. The flesh, the flesh, the effort of a human to accomplish holiness on their own. Galatians 6.12 Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Glory only in the Christ in the cross there. But... Um, See, those Judaizers in the flesh. We know the cross does bring persecution. It does bring a war. But they wanted to make a show in the flesh. That was their lower nature. That was man being opposed to God. That was man being opposed to the goodness and righteousness of God, which they're incapable of. Let me tell you something else. This flesh thing, this conflict, says the man's terrible weakness, the infirmity of the flesh. Romans six nineteen. It's weak. It's infirm. Romans seven eight eighteen. Paul said this: In my flesh dwells what? No good thing. No good thing. Nothing. Whatever it is, the flesh theologically is that part of man that functions apart from God, attempting to attain whatever it can attain. John Gill said this, the spirit or the new man, the spiritual, the spiritual I, wills, chooses, desires, approves, and loves spiritual things. I'll say that again. The spirit, the spiritual, the new man, the spiritual I. That's the good. He wills. I like that. He has a, now has a good will, doesn't he? He chooses, desires, that's the word we've been using, approves and loves spiritual things. That's why we're here. If you didn't like those things, you wouldn't be here. It's just simply as that. When it really comes down to it. He went on to say, they are contrary to one another as light and darkness or fire and water. They continually war against one another. These inward conflicts are facts in every believer's life. Thank you, John Gill. Well said. 
Pretty sums it up, doesn't it? So, it's not all... Everything's going to be all right. It isn't all, everything all right. We know we have the Holy Spirit on our side, but yet at the same time, faith in Christ brings some bitter conflicts. It causes God's child much pain, much toil, many tears, struggles between the flesh and the Spirit. Seems like a paradox. We are to be happy people, blessed, and at the same time be mournful. We are to be the richest and the poorest people on earth. We are to be men and women who possess perfect peace, yet we're always at war. (laughs) You notice those seemingly contradictions? And that's what it seems like is happening here in Galatians 5, but we know that those are paradoxes which Jesus used so often even in His parables. said things that people just couldn't understand. That's why the guy on Facebook said, come on. You know, take these words and see what the meaning is behind it instead of getting some kind of stupid argument. On top of that, there were like, I don't know, it looked like by the time I looked at it, there had already been over 30 people or so that had already liked it. You know, there's one guy, always got to, you know, you ever notice that? You guys do that. There's always got to be somebody that takes something out of context, boom, they go for the throat. It's their pet little (laughs) theological aspect, and they don't get what this. Seemingly simple idea really is. It's a war. It's a war. Boy, it would be worse if we didn't have war. No war within. Dennis, that sounds kind of contradicting. Well, God designed it. The flesh controls the citadel, the fortress. See, because of the depravity of man, He controls this. And if we don't have a war, that means the Spirit of God is not there. The Spirit of God always wins in you. You ever notice that? Praise God for the war within. You ever heard the phrase, totally depraved? Oh, yes. One of the, what's the first uh, one in the the doctrines of grace? That's, That's the best place to start with anybody. Man is totally depraved. He is sinful. He is corrupt. And you say, totally depraved. It doesn't mean that he's the worst that he can be. Because he can just keep on getting worse. Totally depraved. That's what it sounds like. And maybe that's almost a misnomer there. But it actually means that every part of you has been affected by sin. The flesh is dealing with the mind, the emotions, the will. It deals with your body. It deals with, look outside. We have trees. They're turning. They're falling. The dead of winter. You don't, you you know, I remember the weeds that come out in the spring. I mean, you just look around. You see the, the death of people. It just goes on and on. You can't miss it. Every day we are being reminded, things break. (laughs) Just that. Things just break. You always have to fix things. That's a reminder of the depravity of man. Man, Because of man's sin, look what happened in the world. We affected all of creation. Adam and Eve did. And we... The depravity of man. That's really what this flesh is about. 
at the fall, every man, woman, child ever born after Adam and Eve became affected. Man's thinking became marred. Did it totally destroy his brain where he can't think? No. Man has some great intelligence. I would never compare it to the intelligences of Adam and Eve, though. Can you imagine what they had before sin? Can you imagine the thinking they had? Adam named every creature. That's a phenomenal thing, isn't it? But it affected everything. What's that? I forget. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Sometimes I have to think I might forget my own name. Lust, desires. He goes back into that word again for the spirit. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit. That's the lust. That's that desire strongly, yearns strongly. The flesh is smashing against the spirit. The spirit lives there. The flesh is there. And it's smashing. And then the spirit is coming along. And it's smashing the flesh. The war that's going on. Opposition. Opposition. That's what he says here. For these are in opposition to one another. The flesh starts doing something. The spirit moves in. Spirit against the flesh. That's good to know, isn't it? Spirit is going to take care of it. It's good to know that as a Christian, your flesh doesn't get very activated really until the Spirit moves in and creates some opposition. Uh, the, the, the root word in the Greek there is anti. You know what anti is? Against. Opposition. Struggle starts. It's a fight. It's a battle. The war is on. Stephen Lawson said, it's never a ceasefire. Never is there a truce. Never are the guns laid down. That's what we're in. Spiritual warfare, folks. Romans seven eighteen through twenty three. I would I would be going amiss if I didn't go to this text because this supports this so good. Romans seven eighteen. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is. In my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. You guys ever read that one? There it is. Boy, does that ever explain what goes on so much. In Romans 13.14, Augustine stumbled upon, I think, this particular verse. Is this the one? No, it's 13. 13. Okay, 13.14. Where he says, hey, don't behave... Uh, improperly and crowsing and drunkenness and sensuality. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and what? And make no provision for the what? Flesh 
in regards to its lusts, its desires. I think that says it. Augustine read that as the little kids were supposedly uh, playing a game. And take up and read. He took that up and turned and he landed right there in that text. He was quite the licentious sinner and the Lord drove him to Christ. That verse hit. He was definitely... Now, there was going to be a war going on like he had never seen. But he says, don't make provision for the flesh. And we are to starve the flesh. If you don't feed anything, it sort of what? Shrivels away. You don't feed it. It's not going to grow. Don't feed the flesh. Don't give it what it wants. You don't give anything that appeals to the flesh. You don't put yourself in a position to have the flesh entertained. It's not a a passive state of surrender being a Christian, is it? It's a war. You're in on the killing. You kill sin or it will kill you. You ever seen that on people's Bibles or written in Bibles? You're stomping on it. Kill it. Mortify it. John Owen, my, we could just spend a whole time just going through that book, Mortifying Sin. This is uh, right at the heart of what he's talking about. 2 Timothy 2.3 Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle with himself or the affairs of this life that he may please who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now if this is a war and we're soldiers, we're not bystanders, are we? And if a man strives for masteries, yet he's not crowned except he strived lawfully. You have a runner. You have a one who's a warrior, then you have a runner. You've got the Christian life defined as a soldier, defined as a runner. The last one is the conquest. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Just because a war is on doesn't mean both teams have the same strength. Here's where it really gets good. The Spirit of God is all-powerful. All-powerful. There is no stitch of weakness in the Holy Spirit. He's all about helping our weakness in Romans 8.26. That's why He prays for us. He intercedes for us. And so when we ally ourselves with the Spirit of God, there's always going to be victory, no matter how hard the battle is. Always. We are more than conquerors. Isn't this good? We've been beating ourselves all through the morning here, and now all of a sudden, the light comes on. Look at this. If we're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law anymore. You're not under... The Spirit is is leading. Now you have the desire to follow the Lord. You see the answer. The Spirit leads. The Spirit guides. He directs. He leads every Christian. We sang that song this morning about Him leading us, right? And it's not external. It's internal. It's already here. Okay. I'm going to wind this up. Right here. Where is He leading us to? Mm -hmm. Well, 
in Galatians 5.1, he says it was freedom that Christ set us free. I'd say He's leading us to freedom. We are already free, but wouldn't you like to feel more freedom in your life? He's leading you there. How about chapter 5, verse 16? But as I say, walk by the Spirit. Carry out the desire of the flesh. That's to holiness. He leads us to holiness. Leads us to freedom. In John 16, 13 through 15, He's leading us there. He's leading us to, to fruitfulness. He leads us to the truth in John 16. I didn't say that. I'm sorry. He leads us to the truth, to the Word of God. And Thy Word is truth. Right? Fruitfulness is found in our very chapter that we're on now in Galatians 5. He leads us to the fruit of the Spirit. Ephesians 2.18 We have access to God. Access. Boldly we come to the throne. We have access of prayer, right, to the great God. And He shows us that we're sons of God. He leads us to that in Romans 8.16. In, in Acts 1.8, He talks about He'll send the Holy Spirit and they will do what? They will go witnessing. They will be My witnesses. In Ephesians 5, He says, be filled, with the fruit, or, be filled with the Spirit. And what is it? You'll be singing songs, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your heart, loving others, all how it fits in there. Man, it just goes on. He leads us to all these things. We're no longer under the law system because by the law, you, the law cannot stop the flesh. Matter of fact, we found out that it entices it. Like the guy who builds the glass house and then puts a sign out in front and says, don't throw stones at my glass house. (laughs) You're not under the law anymore. You have an inward power. That inward power wants to please God. And quickly, I'm going to turn to Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. We were in Romans 8, 1 this morning. Remember, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus set you free from the law of sin and death. Here we go. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, we have all the power. There's the weakness. God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh while He was here. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You know what? Quite a lesson to learn. We know it. We've heard it. We've read it many times. But hopefully it will stick a little bit more. Hudson Taylor learned it. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary. He received word one day of writing near one of the inland mission stations that they had. In a few moments, one of the evangelists heard Taylor whistling this favorite hymn. It was, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what Thou art. Hudson Taylor had learned that for him only one life was possible. That blessed life of just resting and rejoicing in the Lord. Resting, rejoicing, under all circumstances, 
While He dealt with the difficulties toward the outward, great and small, God will take care of those things. But we just trust in Him. No matter what. That's walking in the Spirit. We'll uh, continue on with that next week. But do you guys feel like you're more than conquerors? You can feel it because the Word of God says it. We can defeat the enemy. Amen?